there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of The Cognitive Canine, and this is called Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. Today, I am talking to Mindy Jarvis, who is the owner and operator of Noble Beast Dog Training in Denver, Colorado. Welcome, Mindy. How are you today? Thank you. I'm so good. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Wonderful. So Noble Beast is an interesting dog training company. Will you tell us about it? Yeah. So we've been around uh, for over 10 years. Uh, we celebrated our, we're 11 years old now. So we've been around for quite a while. And um, really what kind of propelled us is we specialize in um, dog, dog, social skills and group play dynamics. So, oh, right around 10 years ago, I put a program together called group day training. And I feel like we need to rebrand it, but basically what it is, is, um, at the time, I had just started my professional dog training career, and I was getting phone calls from people who were like, okay, well, my dog just got kicked out of doggy daycare. <laughs> and I'm like, well, okay, I can't, this is, I have to be able to work with dogs and with these dogs and with other dogs. So what I did is I put these, you know, these troublemakers into a group of their own, and they did wonderfully. What we did was we reduced the amount of personalities they were facing. We worked on thinking and interacting in ways that didn't just include play or <laughs> avoiding each other and everything in between. Um, and you know, definitely we've had, we've we at that point we had some dogs that were definitely challenging with other dogs, but the smaller numbers in this group um, just allowed us to be more controlled and more focused. And um, it just grew and grew and grew. Um, so 10 years later, um, we do offer group class, private training. We're just basic pet dog trainers, but we focus on, you know, just everything. Um, we have, you know, we do reactive dog classes and um, have some amazing trainers. Um, so we offer it all, but we specialize. Um, and we've been running this program um, for dog, dog, social skills and group play dynamics for over 10 years. Um, it's it's unique to us. We there there are other people who are doing similar things, but um, just our structure and how we do things is pretty unique to us. Um, so that's kind of you know how we came to be where we are today. Um, we have a team of forty five people. Um, Twenty eight wow. of those people are trainers. <laughs> yeah. I know I've yeah. it's kind of insane. <laughs> um, and you know we've we've definitely grown. Um, we work with as a team about eighteen hundred to two thousand dogs per month in all of our programs and as a team. And then on average, we get about eight to nine hundred inquiries on our services from new and existing clients. And, you know, big doesn't mean the best. What we struggle with the most is probably meeting the demands, but also, you know, it, it, we also have to maintain the quality of our programs, which can be challenging because of the high level. Well, we rely on a high level of professionalism from all our from all the members of our team. So we're we're doing big things and we really want to make this group day training program. Um, we would like to move it to a certifiable program because the benefits that we've seen in giving dogs slowing down their social experiences 
has been phenomenal. We don't have any science-based research, but man, some of the some of the stories that I could tell you just would make you cry. So it's a great program. Well, that is so exciting and so fantastic. And I knew I knew a little bit about it. Um, as most of the listeners know, I'm from Colorado. I moved to the, uh, Washington State about five years ago. So Noble Beast was about six years old, I guess, when I moved. And I was aware of the just really cool kind of take on the dog-dog socialization model that you guys were doing. So it's really exciting to me that you have that the company is that big and still maintaining um, really good quality. So when you emailed me asking me to teach a <laughs> seminar for you, um, I found it, I was excited, really excited about the invite, but also having some like, why me feelings? <laughs> <laughs> because I did work in the kind of pet training and behavior realm for a while, but my primary focus now is the training and behavior of performance and sport dogs. Right. Um, so I'm going to teach for you a, a new seminar that I have called level up, which is basically for pet dog trainers. Um, and it's, it's basically me saying, here's what I've gotten from being a sport dog trainer that would have improved my practices as a pet dog trainer. Had I had those things in the beginning. So Tell me why you emailed me in the first place. Let's just talk about what, where you're coming from having a sport dog trainer kind of come and infiltrate your already very successful pet dog training world. Yeah. You know, I mean, one of the things that I look at, like education is a core value of ours. Um, we, we've, we bring speakers in, um, when we can, it was hard last year. Um, but one of the things, you know, that we look at is, you know, we got to kind of go outside of, um, of our general pet dog training mode. And, um, well, for me, I, I just think in particular that when you reach out to trainers who might do something a little bit differently, um, based off their focus, based, based off of their, um, um, you know, their specialties, um, you're going to be looking at, because you do performance work, you're going to be looking at, training a dog a little bit differently or in a different, uh, light in, in ways that we may not be aware of that we could, that could help really improve our ability to be, you know, the best pet dog trainers. Um, and I was just thinking that, you know, when you, in general, you're, amazing, you're amazingly insightful, you're experienced. And it's not just with dogs and people or dogs, but it's also with people. And that's what mainly attracted me is, you know, I followed you and I, I know who you are. Um, and you're easy to learn from and, and, uh, and you're just everything that you're, that you talk about is really it are things that resonate. And I think that when we can put them into the pet dog realm of training that, I mean, it just makes a lot of sense. Um, but your ability and skills in working with behavior challenges with performance dogs, which in that environment is it's high energy, it's highly emotional, yeah. it's highly distracting, <laughs> it's fast paced. Yeah. And probably, to be honest, I mean, I, I don't do any kind of performance dog training at all. But when I look at that environment, it's got to be one of the most challenging environments for a dog to work in and be in. Um, 
you know, depending on the day, depending on <laughs> the events or the, the training. Um, so I just figured that, you know, in what we do as pet dog trainers, I mean, if you can help people in that environment, imagine what we could do for pet dog trainers. As far as the group day training program, I mean, of course, um, all our trainers will be at the event. And, um, you know, when you have six dogs in a, so what we do is we put six dogs in a, in a group and we control the environment. It's kind of like enrichment. Um, but what we, a few of the things that we really focus on is definitely consent. Um, and I know that's one of the topics at the seminar, mm -hmm. but so it's, it's, so you think about consent and a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, if my dog doesn't want to be petty, doesn't have to be pet, but it goes further than that. When you have dogs in social groups, um, there needs to be consent between dogs. Um, and so that's, that really, um, definitely hits me, um, as a, as something that is going to be really valuable. Um, arousal soothing, you know, when we, it doesn't matter if you have six dogs in a group or two dogs or, you know, 15 dogs or whatever, you know, some, there's going to be, there's going to be some dogs that are just aroused. And a lot of times it, it, it seems to stem from the belief of, Hey, you know, my dog, I need my dog to dog to be able to play with other dogs. And so the dog or the puppy learns at a very young age to just play, play, play. Um, and so, um, and then of course, arousal to me is the root of all evil. <laughs> it can take you to places that you really don't want to go. But, um, so when we can actually, you know, have more tools to help with arousal, um, in a group environment, then that's, that's really, um, that's going to be of course beneficial. Um, many times the problems that we see with dogs are because of how we as humans do things in their presence. And so whether it's training or how we behave or whatever, um, it really, it, it, it can confuse the dog or it can confuse us and, and, and wondering like, why, why is this dog doing this? Not even realizing that we've actually trained them <laughs> with, um, oh, yeah. unclear, um, unclear training methods or, you know, not even unclear, but just not even being aware of what we're doing sometimes. And I, I think a lot of trainers, it's easy to get stuck into a mold of just doing things a certain way. Um, but you just have to always, in my opinion, be very conscious of the individual in front of you, the dog individual and the human individual. Um, and then as far as, you know, the group, the, the group training, um, um, we, we really want to make sure, um, when we get the dogs in our group, there's so much that we need to teach the clients, the our clients. There's so much that we need to address. So the four steps to behavior wellness um, and the dog guided bravery, all of all of that just it's so relevant to what we do, even though we're not doing it on a performance level. We're actually helping dogs be better socially around each other and around people. And it's just really relevant. So I don't know if that makes sense, but it, I think yeah. you're a perfect fit. <laughs> Well, it is relevant. And I thank you for all the very kind things that you said about me. But I it's what's interesting to me um, is that the more in depth I got into the kind of performance dog behavior realm, rather than kind of just teaching agility, because this kind of happened on accident. I was teaching agility um, classes because agility classes are to put it pretty simply, it's an easy way to kind of have clients consistently as a dog trainer because it's a hot thing. People want to right. do agility right now. Mm -hmm. um, the further I got into it, the more I was 
the more thinking about these dogs as pets and not as, you know, race cars, um, yeah, I got, and it I think is so helpful for us to kind of merge everything. I think, you know, we've got it's this huge divide between pet dog training and sport dog training on so many different issues. Yeah. One of them being dog dog interactions and socialization. A lot of performance people and a lot of people in that realm do not socialize their dogs directly with other dogs because they do not want their dogs to want to play with other dogs. Um, And I think that that is doing a disservice to these dogs because I want them to be so comfortable with other dogs that they can do anything around them. Um, A lot of my clients' dogs, a lot of my clients don't realize that their dog's problems in the ring are stemming from the fact that they're afraid of people or other dogs or in general worried about people or other dogs. So I'm big on exposure from, you know, from an early age. And I totally understand where people are coming from, not wanting to teach their dogs that playing with other dogs is fun. But if you can do it in such a way that, um, that they can be asked to control themselves basically (laughs) around other dogs, which is what you're doing in your um, day training model is, you know, yes, they're around other dogs and they're allowed to interact, but they're also asked to kind of rein it in on occasion, right? Oh, and absolutely, yeah. How valuable to teach that to an agility dog as well early on, because that's also something that we need them to do. We need them to be actually in a pretty highly aroused state to run fast and do their thing, but also be able to listen and function. And I liken it often to... um a highly skilled skydiver essentially. So it's not that jumping out of the plane does not cause this person a huge adrenaline rush. It does. They're just also able to think and function and operate the parachute on the way down. And that's what we need our sport dogs to do. Yeah. And your pet dogs maybe aren't jumping out of an airplane, so they maybe don't need to operate (laughs) on that level, but they might need to walk down you know, the streets of Denver and deal with the dog behind the chain link fence that is charging them and also not eat the pile of trash that is on the other side of the sidewalk and, (laughs) you know, deal with the cars going by. And it's not, it's not that different. Well, I mean, the whole thing is, and one of the reasons why we are striving to focus on socialization is because if a dog doesn't behave, then they don't get to go. And most people you know, get a dog to have a, a more enriched life. And then it kind of sucks for both the human and the dog. Um, and, you know, when it comes to socialization, you know, just like I gave you the example of, you know, we j- we see this so often where we, we get people who are like, okay, I, I need my dog to go and say hi to every dog. And they have really good intentions. But what the dog learns is, oh, I see another dog. It means play. And then that's their mindset for the rest of their lives. And then their dog is clobbering dogs and other dogs are like, stop it. And then they had adolescence and dog fights start to happen. And then a whole new, you know, stream of problems comes up. And so we really need to, I mean, what we feel, the res- what we have a responsibility at Noble Beast, what we're trying to accomplish is to help people understand um, that you got to be really mindful in socializing and you can't socialize in one way. We, we, our dogs need to know that dog equals sometimes play dogs 
dog equals sometimes we walk past dog equals sometimes we mouth wrestle sometimes we do obedience together like it doesn't just mean one thing and so we limit the amount of exposure and experiences with our dogs for whatever reason um and then we wake up one day and our dog can't function in certain situations and we also don't take into consideration that we're going to have this dog for like you know, 10 years or longer, you know, hopefully longer, but, you know, depending on the breed and everything that you're going to, that's going to happen in your life, your dog is going to have to do it with you. So we have to prepare our dogs for life. Um, and I think, you know, just the whole, the whole premise of helping people understand what does socializing mean, number one. And then number two, that, each dog has their, like, they're just going to have their own personalities and that's okay. So you could have a social butterfly. Yay. That's a great dog that goes everywhere. But just because your dog is like, look, I'd rather just have a couple friends and hang out with the humans. That's just as normal too. And that's just as good and okay as well. Um, and I just think that a lot of people have this misconception that their dog has to be this perfect social being. And I'm very much like, you know, well, if you want the perfect dog, you're going to have to be the perfect owner. And that's not going to happen. So, <laughs> and that's not going to happen. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, just setting realistic expectations on our poor <laughs> furry friends yeah. is, is what we're trying to do and help just people understand that, you know, your dog is a product of what you expose them to and how you do it. And, you know, we've got to be very mindful about it. Um, we don't want to push them into situations, but nor do we want to with, you know, keep them away from situations. Um, so it, it's, it's a, it's a slippery slope, but it, it's our passion for sure. Well, and I think, um, you know, I'm thinking of a really common story and it happens in both the pet realm and the performance realm, but the responses are often different. So, um, really common i think for puppies to hit kind of a funky um age around like six months where they're kind of going okay i'm not sure i like other dogs anymore and i'm not sure i like people either and oh my god there's really scary things in the world or depending on temperament they're kind of going to react that way or they might get barky lungy at around that age and the performance people, that's when they just dig in and start training that sport mm. super hard. Mm. And then the pet people just stop taking the puppy places. Yeah. Yeah. And it's both of these things are problematic. Yeah. Because both of these puppies need help to be comfortable in their world. And you mentioned the four steps to behavioral wellness. Um, and for me, the first order of business is always to make sure that my dog can have access to that wellness, mm -hmm. which means that anything that stops me from being able to provide that wellness needs to be my first order of business in training. So if the dog can't have um, appropriate exercise, either, you know, either off leash or on a long line or whatever out in the world in general, um, then that's going to be my first order of business training wise. And, you know, also I've had plenty of people who say, well, I can't give my dog any enrichment, any food-based enrichment items because my dog's a resource garter. Right. Uh -huh. And I'm going to go, okay, Hey, guess what? We got to address that right? <laughs> because, <laughs> because that can be addressed and it's stopping yeah. your dog from being able to have what it, what it really needs. Pet dog training is a rapidly growing field with educational opportunities everywhere you look. 
But if you're interested in being kind, pragmatic, and effective, which I believe are the benchmarks of excellent pet dog training, there's a new school you're gonna wanna check out. It's the Fenzy Pet Professionals Program, and it's Fenzy Dog Sports Academy's sister school, designed to help dog trainers help their clients in ways that are, you guessed it, kind, pragmatic, and effective. With a staff of carefully selected teachers, including yours truly, and a wide range of courses, upping your training game has never been easier. The cost-effective courses are accessible too at just under 30 bucks a course. So if you're interested in a truly unique educational experience, hop over to fdsapetprofessionals.com and check it out. And so I think we're just, we're on the same page yeah. and operating in different worlds. Absolutely. That's because that's exactly how I see it. It, it just, it, yeah. and I think like it, it doesn't even matter what, you know, what your specialty is, the basis, the solid, a solid foundation of competence and um, trust um, is really what we're striving for. And that has to be, you, you know, you have to be your dog's guardian in that. And um um, and then I think that we will see success in whether it's performance performances or just being able to walk down the street. But you're, I think the four steps to behavior wellness, I, I, I just, I can't wait for that portion of it. Um, because it is, it's, um, I think I was listening to one of your podcasts where you said something along the lines of, you know, if they don't have, if they don't have these four, these four steps in place, then nothing else is going to really fall into place behind it. Yeah, nothing else, nothing, basically your behavior modification or your training efforts right. will will fall short if the basic needs of the dog are not met. And those basic needs, and actually it is, it is the first step on the humane hierarchy, um, which I can go into depth on, on a later podcast, but basically a lot of pet dog trainers follow the humane hierarchy, um, mm -hmm. at least loosely. Basically it's a, it's a kind of step-by-step -step process of saying, where do we start with behavior right. and then where do we go to? And it's kind of a, trying to be, a, it's like the Lima least invasive, minimally intrusive mm -hmm. kind of model. And I think too often we forget that first step because we think that first step just means make sure the dog is healthy. Uh -huh. And, you know, being fully vet checked, made sure the dog is not ill is one thing, but making sure the dog is well is another. Uh -huh. And wellness has so many areas um, that need to be considered. And we, we have to start there. And people, I mean, I'm sure that I think that pet dog trainers feel pressured to kind of skip through that stuff and give people some concrete training steps to do. Um and then they have to like backslide to the wellness stuff because the training is plateauing. And if we just start with wellness instead, um, I, I actually don't think that dog owners would reject it in the way that people are afraid that they will. Um, because it's especially with things like providing more daily uh, food-based enrichment, mm -hmm. the dog is suddenly easier to live with when you do that. Right. <laughs> and, and that, I mean, and as well as providing appropriate exercise, the dog is yeah. suddenly easier to live with when you do that. Yeah. Um, and it's huge. 
Absolutely. And I think, you know, like on, I hope there's a lot of, we, in Colorado, I think like our pet parents might be a little different than like somewhere like in Texas or, you know, so I think that, you know, there's certain places where you can place it out there and people will embrace it and other places where you have to kind of, you know, make it part of the curriculum and they, and, um, but I think um, one of the things, and I hope um, some new trainers will come is I remember as a new trainer, getting good information and getting good um, edu continued education um, was really challenging. Um, it wasn't very easy to get trainers who would embrace, you know, helping you um, get to the next step. And, and, um, and I think that as a new trainer, you don't know, like with any new, anything that you do, you don't know what you don't know. And so, um, you know, just, the having the information out there to say, Hey, this is, this is where we need to start because it's so true. I mean, you know, we've all been in situations where you just show up at somebody's house and they're like, well, I just, I can't even get my dog to sit. <laughs> and, and you're just like, okay, well, we've got, we've, we've got to backstep quite a bit because there's just no relationship. The dog is not focused. You, you know, there's so much stress. There's, you know, the dog doesn't know what to do with himself. So he's doing what he, you know, what a dog does, which is driving the human crazy. So I think it makes total sense. And it's, um, you know, it's just kind of interesting to think about where I am now as where I was as a new trainer. And so having this, there just seems to be better information. Um, I think we've come a long way when it comes to positive reinforcement training. Um, because the information is just better than it was like 10 years ago. It's more accessible. There's so, yeah. And there's yes. amazing yeah. people that are just right out there giving us some great education, you being one of them, of course. Well, and sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming too. And I think that some of the really young trainers that I talk to, they're just, they have this like, wealth of education because of all of the seminars and conferences and training courses that they've gone through. Um, and sometimes they're not sure. I mean, I remember being overwhelmed by some of my behavior cases because I, I wanted to do, you know, 20 different things for this dog since for this dog in session one. Right. When I, so I think talking about the four steps first and then kind of going from there can also provide pet dog trainers with like an easier framework um, to, to just kind of go, okay, I know how to do this. The first step is wellness. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> and, then, and then so many things get better just with wellness. And then, you know, and then the next step is positive reinforcement, a positive reinforcement based um, route towards whatever your goal behavior actually is. Um, it's basically splitting for pet dog trainers. It's saying, okay, you don't have to save the world in session one. What you do instead is right. help the dog have wellness in session one, you know, and then go from there. Cause I remember being, you know, wanting to fix everything right away in the first hour and a half. Right. And it's just impossible. So knowing that wellness is the place to start is I think helpful for a lot of them. there was, I was, I did have some questions because I, and, and you kind of answered one of them for me because I was wondering what came first for you, performance training or behavior. And you said it was kind of, you ended up with the agility class with all the, the 
the, well, the challenging thoughts. Right. <laughs> yeah. And in my um, kind of evolution, what happened was I got involved in dog sports first mm-hmm. um, as a teenager, but I had a dog who was really severely dog aggressive and he was my performance dog. Mm. And so I accidentally got involved in both right away. <laughs> right, right. Um, and I, you know, with him, I'm definitely a crossover trainer. And with him, I learned, mm-hmm. I learned a lot of nasty ways to control aggression. Yeah. Um, and, and then kind of had to wade through the mud and come out the other side. And because I wanted him to also trust me and be my performance partner, which is something that he couldn't do mm-hmm. if I was going to attack him anytime he felt threatened by another dog. Right, right. Um, and so it really kind of both happened, but my, with, you know, career wise, I was teaching pet dog training classes and teaching agility classes mm. and being in home um, clients and just more and more and more, I was getting, performance clients who were my favorite clients <laughs> because they were kind of my people right. I'm from that world mm-hmm. who, who needed help. Um, and so I just kind of phased out the, you know, the pet dog training classes and things like that and did more and more of the performance stuff, especially with dogs that had behavior concerns like my dog did mm-hmm. that were preventing them from being able to kind of perform fully and a lot of times the answer was that the performance world is too much for this individual dog mm-hmm. and that's something that they need to accept and to be honest if I had it to do over again I think that was the truth about my dog mm. is that I shouldn't have actually had him in that situation yeah um he wound up doing really well on paper he got some pretty impressive titles um but he I retired him when he was eight years old and I feel like then he could breathe Uh, and then we could really kind of work through um, some of those real things. So I have that hard conversation with a lot of my clients too, that some dogs, you know, these dogs are individuals and what they need Mm -hmm. is different. And just like some of them, I mean, I had a client, one of my last kind of uh, long-term behavior clients, she had a dog, she lived near Wash Park. She wanted the dog to be able to go walk in Wash Park every day. And Wash Park is a major busy park in Denver, you guys. And <laughs> this dog was coming unglued. I mean, just walking out the front door. And she adopted her older. She was a year and a half or so and kind of came with all of this baggage. And it wound up that she did a really thoughtful, selfless rehome of this dog. So the dog wow. could basically go live in, go live in suburbia. Um, and not have to go to wash park every day. (laughs) You know, that's like, that's like my, our performance dogs sometimes, sometimes they, sometimes their personality and their temperament is simply not suited. Yeah. Even if you do everything right. And I think that's an important thing probably in your line of work too. I'm sure you get dogs that are just not suited for your groups. Well, and, and as we were talking about, you know, how, you know, how we introduce the four steps to behavior wellness, um, and as we're talking, it, it leads me to, you know, to being, to having good, being able to present and give good communication to the dog owners. And you're right. Like, uh, we'll get, you know, we have pre-training questionnaires. They're, they're pretty extensive. And, um, if there's any sign of fear, anxiety, or, uh, that leads to aggression or aggression challenges, um, that is moderate to severe, we do an evaluation and there's definitely, 
some owners that I'm like, look, your, your dog just doesn't want to be around other dogs. They're not even, they're not even wanting to sniff. They're, they're just so shut down that this is, you know, if we were to put them in our program, it'd be like throwing them in the deep end, let alone a dog park or a doggy daycare. And so let's look at those different options. But I think, um, one of the things that was interesting to, um, to me about you is your background in psychology. And I'm curious how, did you, did you go for that degree or, and then how does it help you? Has it really propelled you in your dog training? It has to have helped you in your dog training career with people. Well, it has. <laughs> it's, it was intentional with dog training in mind. Okay. Got it. Um, and I would say the most helpful courses that I took were the counseling psychology mm-hmm. courses. So, um, which is, I mean, I still have, that's one of my textbooks from, college that I still have. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure it's called, it's called like helping others. And it's a, it's about, it's about communicating with people who are in distress. Mm. And, um, it has, it's something that I still turn to and it has been, it has been the most helpful piece because that's not something that came naturally to me. Mm. Um, and I, I mean, I definitely had some, I had some tough, I had some tough moments early on where um, I was very unkind to some people in classes um, when I was kind of a dogmatic brand new crossover trainer. Mm -hmm. Um, And and today, you know, I've just made such a shift towards meeting people where they are and it's so much more successful and it's so much easier for me. I mean, I had a seminar about six months ago where I had a woman come in with her dog on a prong collar for the seminar. And, um, she was this tiny woman with this giant German shepherd on a prong collar. And I just didn't say anything about it. And just as she went, the prong collar kind of became less and less necessary. At one point for one of her turns, she came out with the dog on a flat collar because somebody had told her Mm. that she shouldn't be using it. Mm. And I mean, she was like terrified to handle this dog and it yeah. was dragging her. And I, and I literally said, Hey, you can use that if you want to, if you need to, like, it's, it's okay. Yeah. Cause that's not what we're here to fix. Like, you know, mm-hmm. that's okay. Um, and the relief on this mm-hmm. woman's face. <laughs> um, and no, is it a tool that I would have chosen for the dog? No, but that's already what she's using and taking away things that make people feel safe. Right. is never a good idea. Right. Um, and that's just a total shift. I mean, from me telling somebody in my class that their prong collar was, you know, evil or what, I don't even remember what I said to this person, but it was, <laughs> you know, it was not good, not nice. Um, and it's, you know, it's important for me to, again, yeah, refer to that process for speaking to people who are coming to you for help because they are in a very vulnerable place when they do that yeah. and recognizing that they're in a vulnerable place because they need your help yeah. um, is it's really, it's a core value for me. It's very important to me now. Um, and I think that, you know, that's actually been the big deal because as far as learning theory, that learning that in um, my psych degree, it was a, it was half of a one hour lecture <laughs> in my learning and memory class. Oh, wow. Um and basically the the professor was like, this isn't actually important. We don't, we don't care about this stuff anymore. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so, and I was like, but wait a minute, this is what I know about. <laughs> wait, can that be on the test? Because I already know. Right. Um, but it wasn't. Nobody cares. In human psychology, nobody cares about the four quadrants of operant conditioning. So, <laughs> wow. even though I I think it still matters. It's important to me to understand that um, consequences are what drives behavior and understanding those consequences is, is important. And I think that's important for people too. When people are consistently engaging yeah. in problematic behavior with their dog, yeah. you have to help them out of their problematic behavior. Yes. <laughs> and you have to understand that that problematic behavior has a function and you have to give them another behavior that has the same function or they can't stop doing yeah. it. You can't just tell them to stop. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that did come up was in my head was it's fun to train people who train people because the anymore, like in the very beginning of my career, um, you didn't hear people who, who could relate to the four quadrants and not that I would ever yeah. really spit it outside like in the, in science terms, you know, I would say this is, you know, right. this is, I try to make it so it's easy for people to just understand and just that we're just kind of talking and explaining, but the, the teachers the you know, the people who are training, um, you know, people to be in sales positions or whatever, they, they, they kind of get it these days as opposed to years ago when they didn't. Um, but when we, and why was I telling you about the trainers we were hiring? We were kind of thinking about the trainers and maybe their background. Um, maybe maybe there are backgrounds other than dog training that make them better candidates for your. That yeah, and that and that's that's one of the things is we've hired trainers that are very experienced, but they they haven't had that group experience. And nobody nobody like we we opened this program up ten years ago, and I never hired anybody who was doing the kind of training that we were doing. So we did have to explore like who would be the best, you know, um, trainer for this. Um, the brand new trainers and, and certified trainers really, it didn't matter if they were certified or not. I mean, I've met some certified trainers that I wouldn't give a stuffed dog to, but, and it's just like, they have a lot of information, but they don't have the experience. And then, and, and just because somebody's certified doesn't necessarily mean they're going to practice as such. So we really, you know, had to hire off of core values. Um, and some of the experienced trainers, they, they had one-on-one -on -one and they knew a lot about dogs, but they couldn't grasp having six dogs. And some of them, a lot of them, a lot of these are teenage dogs that are just going through it. Like you've talked about, they just hit a certain stage and people, are, are not able to help them. Um, and so they look to us for how do we help them with the, with these social skills. Um, so the experienced trainer would come in and just be overwhelmed with it. Um, the, we do get a lot of, we've tried new people who didn't realize how exhausting pet being a being a dog trainer is um, mentally and physically, <laughs> and that it's a lot of work. Like, oh, I love dogs. I want to be a dog trainer. And we're like, okay. <laughs> and you can teach people how to dog train, but you can't really teach trainers morals and values. And so, you know, being professional is being a professionalism uh, or having professionalism, um, really having a good attitude, because when you walk into um, a room of dogs and your, your attitude is funky. The dogs just don't know what to do with it. And they're just like, mm -hmm. you know, that it just creates a really rough day for everybody. Um, you know, knowledgeable and distinct and, um, you know, really having education as a core value is so important. Um, being problem solvers, um, 
you know, communicative. Well, and what, oh, that's what I find. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, that's okay. Something. It was just okay. going to what you were talking about, the communicative, always coming from a place of respect, consideration, empathy. That's where, that's where we find the best trainer. I, I guess that's where I was going with it is you were talking yes. about how it's not important in, in the psychology of people um, when they're teaching it to you in college, but having that communication and empathy and um, consideration and respect, those are our best trainers, to be quite honest with you. Absolutely. I remember I worked, I worked for um, a big pet supply box store that has training um, <laughs> for, for a hot minute. I was actually just a cashier, but what was interesting was who they hired to put through their, they, have, they had kind of a six week dog training program and then the person was a trainer right um and the successful trainers that they had were not dog trainers first they were the people that they selected because of their excellent customer service so when they could talk to people well and they could troubleshoot for people well without getting angry and you know demonstrating empathy that's when management would select them and say hey are you interested in learning about dog training um and there were a couple of different trainers when I worked there, and one of them was very experienced, and the other was not. And when I observed the classes, and they actually give you, they kind of, as an employee, they give you some free classes, and my sister had a puppy, so I went through one of them. Um, the, the best one was not the trainer. Yeah. The best one was not the one with all the experience. Probably if you gave her the dog, she would do better hands-on because she had more hands-on experience. But the person that they had selected simply for her customer service skills right. was a great instructor. Yeah. Um, and I do, you know, when you're working hands-on with dogs, I think both are really important. And I think that's one place where um, sports can elevate pet dog training, that if you get involved in a dog sport with your own dog, it will inherently kind of improve your chops because you're actually teaching your dog new things all the time. Um, and that's something that right. I find you can't replace it. I know so many dog trainers who don't actually train their own dogs because they're done with dog training at the end of the day. <laughs> and so right. they, you know, it kind of goes two ways. I find dog trainers that land with really difficult dogs and then they don't have a choice but to yeah. work hard. Right. And right. then I also know trainers who intentionally have dogs that are pretty easy so that they don't have to work super hard. Yeah. Um, and I don't think you have to fill your house with projects. I actually don't think that's healthy. I think a lot of dog trainers do that and I, I wish they wouldn't, but you should be kind of actively utilizing your skills in your own life with your own dogs. Um, I mean, I know a friend of mine is a pet dog trainer and she just started doing agility like four or five years ago and had been training dogs for you know 10 or 12 years before that. And she's like, this has so upped my game in a way that I didn't even know was possible with my job. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's important too. And not to, you know, make dog trainers have dogs be literally everything in their lives because it's important <laughs> to not have that as well. But, you know, even just getting involved in something that's easy, like, um, you know, just a rally or freestyle class or something like that, where you maybe you don't even want to compete, but you are training um, actually training dogs all the time. And that's interesting with your model. The people are actually training dogs. They're not, um, 
only talking to people and coaching people. Yeah. So it's important that they have both skills, basically. Well, yeah. And and you're right. I mean, absolutely. <clears throat> There's something to be said about, you know, a, a, an experienced trainer coming in. And we've learned how to hire dog trainers um, pretty, <laughs> pretty well. Um, and, and both of those things are really important. And that and I think one of the things when you said, well, why? Why Sarah at Noble Beast? You know, it's exactly that. It's it's stepping out into something that we don't know, that we're not as familiar with. I mean, some of our trainers have done agility and and they've they've or some some um, performance types or um, freestyle or whatever. Um, but the, you know, we're we're just not in it like you know like you guys are, like the you know the that you guys who actually teach it and. Um, perform or, and compete and do all that. And I think the exposure to new things is great. And, and if you tie yourself too down, tie, tie yourself down too much to projects, um, meaning, you know, you get dogs that need, you know, a lot of help, um, then, then absolutely it is harder to like, I wish not and pretty much my thing that I'm tied down to is, is running the company, but I wish I had more yeah. time. <laughs> I wish I had more time to go do, you know, to take some new classes and go explore things with my dogs. Um, and I think that's the great thing about our group day training program is at some point, the, so the same group of dogs, like every Monday, the same group of dogs will come and they'll, and, and so being familiar, having those familiar dogs to be in class with is really important. Having that structure and consistency of personalities is really important. At some point, those dogs get used to each other and things kind of flow really nicely. And then we can explore, you know, like do as I do training or bring in agility mm -hmm. equipment. And so that's, that's another really great thing about, you know, a lot of the dogs that come into the program will be there for a really long time. We don't ever graduate them. We always find ways of how do we challenge ourselves as trainers and how do we challenge ourselves, challenge the dogs. And when the dogs are bored, then we better figure out another way to challenge ourselves as trainers. <laughs> so I think to your point, like there's, that's the great, that's the, one of the best things about being a, an animal trainer, like not even a dog trainer, but an animal trainer is that there's so much, pe people are doing so much these days. We just had, um, Kayla Fratt come and do as, mm -hmm. um, at our Colorado dog trainers, uh, network meeting. And they were, she was rescuing dogs to do conservation detection work. And it was just, mm -hmm. I was like, Oh my God, when I grow up, that's what I want to do. And it was, just, <laughs> it's so amazing. All the things that are out there for dogs and for us to learn and expose, you know, the average person to, um, you know, we can't, it's so easy to get tied up in, like I said, our projects, be it, be it the dogs that we're rescuing or our work or, you know, things that just tie us down to life. Um, but I think you're, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, getting out there and seeing it, expanding. yeah, seeing it as, um, a, an education kind of place might help people mm -hmm. make the time for it as well. Cause I think that's, you know, that's sometimes the issue, but Mindy, I've taken up a lot of your time <laughs> and I think that this is a great place to wrap it up. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, let's see. The dates for Level Up are December 7th and 8th of this year, and that is um, that is in Denver. And can you just give people an idea of where they can contact you if they are interested? Yeah, so if you're interested in attending this 
seminar workshop, um, feel free to reach me. My name is Mindy Jarvis. I'm the owner of Noble Beast. You can reach me at my email address, which is Mindy at noblebeastdogtraining.com. You can also call us at 303-500-7988. We do have a website and um, the event is listed on our website, um, noblebeastdogtraining.com. And you want to click on the modern dog training series and you will see Sarah's picture and the description of the seminar and you can purchase tickets there. Um, but uh, contact me in any of those ways and we'll get you taken care of. Yeah, as well as if you're in the Denver area and you're interested in enrolling your dog with Noble Beast, that's the same the same place they can find Absolutely. you. So that's excellent. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mindy. This has been great. Thank you, Sarah. I look forward to seeing you in December. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe in the podcast app of your choice. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, being a part of the CogDoc Radio community, and getting access to all kinds of extras, head over to patreon.com slash cogdogradio to become a patron.